Hello, everybody. It's Witchy Bites. Hey, everyone. Welcome to episode 40. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm Liz. And I'm Hanny. And today we're going to be talking to you about two different topics. Mm -hmm. I am talking about echidnas. And I'm really excited about you talking about echidnas. (laughs) And I'm talking about bells. Yay! Yay. I love both of these things, so I'm excited. Oh, good. Yay. So I did Bells in Magic, and I was going to do – so when I first looked this up, there was a lot of stuff about witches' bells in particular, but I expanded out and am just doing bells in general because I've never heard of witches' bells before, like as a specific thing. Yeah, so I looked it up and there was lots of stuff about witches' bells which are more like a charm. So it's a small set of like teeny tiny bells, only a, few, a centimetre wide, that um, you hang from a doorknob or a nail in your home and you string them up and you put charms and little bits and bobs. And they're quite pretty, but, um, yeah, I found a little bit about them, but I wanted to do a more expanded topic than that, so... I'm doing bells in magic. So I'll start with bells in general. So typically bells are made of metal and the metal was called bell metal and it was a type of bronze. The shape is a ho- of a, it's a hollowed out vessel with a dangly bit inside which is called a clapper or a uvula. So you've got the bowl shape and then you've got the uvula or the clapper in the middle. I'm going to call it clapper because uvula is a bit weird. It's like your mouth. Yeah, I guess. So. Possibly. <laughs> like the, the thing in the back of your throat that hangs down. The dangly part. So when the bell moves, so when you swing it or it's moved by the rope, the clapper hits the side of the bell's vessel and that's what makes the sound. So some bells are also struck with a hammer and they don't have any clapper. Or uvula. I feel like there's an art piece in this because I just, like, when I Googled it, I could see a bunch of them and they all are kind of weird and different. So, you know how Mona has a wall of vaginas? They could branch out and have a wall of uvulas. Um, and people have uvula piercings, can I just say? So you could add a bell to your uvula and then you could, like, have it ow. as a joke. That would, ow. Seriously? <laughs> anyway. Nice. Let's move on from that. I'm scared now. Um, <laughs> Uh, yeah, and we'll get into the sexual nature of those of the symbolism later. Um, <laughs> yeah, so I don't think I wrote this down, but um, the first bells, maybe I did write it down, were made of um, pottery, which I thought was really interesting. And then they moved into the bell, like the metal later. But like in Western tradition, the, a bell is made of bell metal and it's kind of bronze, which I'll get into. The word bell translates to mean to roar or to make a loud sound, which is quite appropriate. Think of the word bellow. So it's sort of, it's related. Wikipedia says a bell is a directly struck idiophone percussion instrument. And an idiophone is an instrument where like the whole instrument vibrates to make a sound. And there was only like cymbals, bells and a couple other things that were actually in that category. Historically, bells are associated with religious rites. 
Now they're commonly used to commemorate important events or people and are associated with peace and freedom. And the study of bells is called campanology. Wow. Time to go back to uni, Hannah. No. It sounded <laughs> really boring. <laughs> there were parts of it that sounded really interesting, like um, the way the sounds produce, like they study that kind of thing. But ca- campanology is wrongfully often associated with just bell ringing, like studying bell ringing. But it's bells in general, but it still sounded really boring. So the earliest archaeological evidence of bells dates from the third millennium BC in China. So these were clapper bells and they were made from pottery. So metal bells only appeared around 2000 BC. Something else really interesting that I read about and again didn't really write down was that the Chinese were making humongous bells before Western society had made like even quite, that we were still making tiny, tiny ones. And we hadn't worked out how to make these massive, massive bells. Like they were much, much of Chinese and some other Asian countries, but mostly the Chinese were so far ahead of the West. We had no idea what we were doing. We had these tiny little bells, you know, just hand bells with a little clapper and they had like not quite building but like small car-sized bells. We had no idea wow. what we were doing. So, yeah. So did we get influenced by by China? like? We did in the end. We did, but it took, yeah, like that thousand years, I think, before we got anywhere along. And I think, again, I didn't write it down, but I think they said something about like the Romans, up to Roman time, they were still making, you know, hand-sized bells. They just hadn't figured it out. (laughs) took us ages. I feel like there's a penis joke in here somewhere. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. There's, there's, there's. Yeah, that's the main symbology there. Ah, excellent, excellent. Yeah. I've hit it. <laughs> I've hit we it can end up. my we can end my topic now. <laughs> Done. Done. Another interesting thing was there are different styles of bell ringing. You can ring bells like in church, like in churches with the bell, the pulling of the rope. I didn't read too much about it because it was confusing. And it all, like one of them, like it depends on the length of the clapper that's inside the bell. So as the bell is swung with the rope, so I, I didn't write down how bell ringing works. I'm assuming a lot of people would know that they attach the rope to the bell and they pull. And depending on where the rope's attached and how long the clapper is, depends on how the bell rings. I'm afraid this is such a dirty place right now. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I didn't go into that too much, but, yeah, it's basically all sexual. So as the bell swings with the rope being pulled, the clapper strikes the bell at different times depending on how long the clapper is. And, yeah, I read a big, long explanation of it and there's, like, pages and pages about it, but I, yeah. It feels like physics. Man. Nah. Nah. And it (laughs) wasn't particularly magical, so I didn't go into it. (laughs) What else? Another interesting thing is the clappers can have leather pads attached to them which muffle the sound. These are called muffles. Haha. <laughs> they can also have half muffles, so they attach the, the it's only attached to one side of the clapper. So when this and these are used particularly in funerals, so they'll swing the pull the rope to swing the bell and one side will hit the 
leather and it's quite a muffled sound and then the other side when it comes back and hits the other side of the bell it's louder so when you think of those funerals when there's big funerals and they have the bells ringing and there's the quieter one and then the louder one they've actually they've actually put they've put leather on the clapper of the bell i thought that was interesting mm. so the great bell of damasiedi which was made in 1848, may have been the largest bell ever made. 300 tonnes, that's how much it weighed. And the Portuguese lost it in a river in Burma when they were nicking it, essentially. Oh. Yeah. (laughs) So they went into Burma and they were just taking the bell back to Portugal, I would assume, in 1608, and they just lost it in a river. How you lose a 300-tonne bell in a river, like lose it, so it can, well, I can imagine it, not being able to be retrieved in the eight, in 1608 at 300 tonnes. But, yeah, they just lost it. That's what was said. It was lost in a river. So I imagine it just fell down and they were like, shit, we can't get that back. <laughs> not Bye. Back up. <laughs> yeah, it was just, you're just staying in the river now. <laughs> wow. It may have been, it didn't say, but it may have been one of the, it may have been a pottery bell, so it may have broken. But they said they lost it. Okay. So I just imagine okay. it falling down into this little river and they're like, it's lost now, can't see it, bye. I mean, it's too hard to get out. <laughs> how would you transport a 300-tonne bell in the 1600s? And they answered that question. They did. <laughs> they did. <laughs> they lost it in a river. <laughs> so the Tsar bell is the large, Tsar, T-S-A-R, the Tsar bell is the largest bell that's ever, that actually still exists and it weighs 160 tonnes. But it's never been rung and it's broken. Oh. But it does still, it's in one piece, but it can't be rung. I'm not sure how it's broken. It just said it was broken and it's in Moscow. So that's the biggest bell that actually still exists. The Great Mingan bell is the largest bell that actually still works and that's in Burma. And it is 90 tonnes. Whoa. So it's, we're going down a little bit. Um, and, of course, everyone knows Big Ben is the bell in, everyone knows Big Ben is actually the bell in the great clock in the Elizabeth Tower at Westminster Palace. So, yes, I was there and, yes, I called the whole clock tower Big Ben and that isn't right. That's the bell's name, one of the bell's names. So bell metal. It's also called bell bronze and it's used to make bells and related instruments like cymbals. It's an alloy formed of bronze with a higher tin content, so approximately a four to one ratio, copper to tin. Bronze is also an alloy made of copper and tin, just by the way, because I had to look that up. So <laughs> typically a bell has 78% copper and 22% tin mixed by mass. So... I'm including that because if you're if you get like if you're thinking about magic and doing you know how you use the bell magically, think about the fact that it has you know these metals in it. Bell metal has a higher tin content than like normal brass, which increases the rigidity of the metal and it also increases its resonance. So that's why they put that extra tin in there because it makes it sound nicer. Also kind of interestingly, historically cannons were also made of bell metal, which just made me go, oh, so they made it out of bell metal because its resonance would have been 
better, so it made a bigger boom when it went off. I don't know, but I just thought that was... Or a pretty boom. (laughs) (laughs) Ding! True, true. But I was just (laughs) like, they they put all this effort in to make bell metal and to figure it out, and it sounded really nice, and then they made cannons out of it. Why? They did. And supposedly, I think I read somewhere that if you... They gave cannons at one point as part of not a dowry but as part of like a marriage agreement and if you gave them a a badly made cannon that didn't have enough like proper bell metal in it, like they might refuse the marriage (laughs) because it wasn't as good a cannon, (laughs) (laughs) which is really strange. Yeah, bell metal in cannons weird. I wonder if it has to do with strength. Possibly, because it said it increases the rigidity of the metal, but, yeah, also for the bells it makes it sound nicer. Yeah. Which doesn't have anything to do with cannons unless it makes them louder. Who knows? So tin and copper are quite soft metals that can deform when there's, like, when they are struck. So when the clapper hits the side of the bell, it can make it deform. But when their powers are combined, haha, they create a harder alloy then either of the metals alone. So like the two metals are quite soft, but if you put them together, they actually become harder than either of them by themselves. So um, bell metal is really tough, long-wearing material that is resistant to oxidisation as well. So you think about there are bell- mm. bells on ships and stuff like that. Mm. So, But I'm including all of this because think about that with your bell in your magic. So it has this like resistance it's really long wearing and it's quite tough and strong but it makes this beautiful sound sometimes unless it's a cannon (laughs) um and this is also interesting there are also different mixes of the metals in different countries so that add different bits and pieces to the the mix of the bell metal so in russia church bells are still commonly cast with a unique mix of copper and tin with some silver added this adds to the bell's resonance and unique sound. And I would think that would mean that some people could tell where a bell's from by the sound that it makes because they make different sounds. Then I was like, okay, this campanology thing sounds really interesting now. <laughs> now I know. <laughs> now I get yeah. it. So just esoteric Buddhism, I'm not sure where they practice that. Handbells and singing bells are cast for esoteric Buddhist rituals with a five-metal alloy, and each of those metals represents one of the five Buddhas or wisdoms. So apologies, I will get these pronunciations wrong. Just putting that out there. Trust me, I will. So the five metals. The first metal is copper, and the Buddha is Anitabeha, and that's discriminating so making i i'm assuming this is like you're able to discern to make a good choice mm. tin rep, is represents represents the buddha of amoga amogaha sitya and that's um all accomplishing is the wisdom that it, that it holds zinc is oh my gosh actual bihaya and that's mirror like Iron, the the Buddha that represents is Ratnasam Bahava, and that's a quality. 
and lead, which is the final of the, the medals, the Buddha represents is Varokana, the Hirokana. Now, can I pronounce this? The wisdom is Dharmadha. And what that is is a dimension of Dharma or absolute reality. I did look into it more and it got really confusing, so I apologise to anyone who has Buddhist beliefs here who might be listening. Um, I might actually write them up and put it into the show notes so that you can people can look at my laugh at my terrible pronunciation. <laughs> but I thought it was really cool. So they put the five medals into their bells because they hold those five different wisdoms. So bell metal does have a like an important impact on the sound, but it's really the shape that makes the sound. So let's go on to mundane uses for bells. And mostly it's historic. Um, aside from the what we think of now is like it's used as a musical instrument. That's the first thing I thought. Um, and when I looked like when I looked up using bells in a musical way, there's actually like quite a long list of musical types of bells and historical musical, like musical bells, like lists and lists and lists of them. So I didn't write all of those down because we'd be here forever. Um, so another mundane use is church bells. So church bells were used for celebrations and funerals, holy days, weddings, that kind of thing. So it was sort of sort of putting information out to the community but just in celebration as well. They were used as an emergency or warning sign. They were used to call communities together. Bells have a close association with clocks. The hour is struck and the bell rings. And the word clock comes from the Latin clocker, C-L-O-C-A, which means bell. So farming, another mundane use is you think of farmers, they had bells around the necks of larger animals that may wander, including cows, goats and sheep, so anything like an important animal. I don't think I read anywhere that they put bells on pigs or hogs, but they're quite a big animal that's important, but they don't get bells, don't know why. Yeah, maybe they, <laughs> they don't wander. Maybe they don't wander as much as that's other animals. True, true. <laughs> that is true. Maybe they're more lazy. Yeah, it was basically everything I read was like, this stops them from getting lost. And I'm like, okay, sure. <laughs> Do pigs get lost too? Who knows? Um, <laughs> the barns on farms often had a little bell tower in the top um, to call in the workers from the field. So when they were, when people didn't have watches or clocks even, that's what they used. The, they used the bells to call them in. Did you have a bell for school, like a handbell for ringing when you were in primary school? Because we did. Um, we had, we did not, but we had one of those like essentially oldie, old school fire bell kind of looking thing. So it was still, it was one of those round bells with a little hammer on the side. Oh. So we had one of those and you'd press the button and ring the bell. When mm. I was at, um, at Sapat's, it was a hand oh, bell like, up cool. to grade three because I left after then. And they, sometimes I was allowed to ring it. That's yeah, cool. so that I was really exciting. Like, as kids, you love that kind of shit. I, I think at one point, because I think there was just a button that you pressed and it would ring the bell and you'd press it and it would stop it. Yeah. And I think at one point I did ring it for, 
like the end of lunch or something because I was just there and I was wow. like, can I press the button to ring the bell? And they never <laughs> let me do it again because I just left it going because I was like, ha-ha, 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 This ha-ha. is like, you've got to turn it off now. It's been long enough. Okay, come on. Press the button now. And then I did. I stretched it out a little for no reason. You had to be convinced. <laughs> oh, yeah. I had to be told a couple of times. Okay. So what are the magical uses of bells? So I quickly went through the mundane uses and basically the magical uses sort of follow along when you think about it, follow along with, with them. So summoning and banishing spirits, vanquishing or removing the evil eye. Ringing a metal bell is said to exert a purifying influence. So bells are used for cleansing spells or cleansing spaces. And I, I would include clearing space or cleansing space as well. And, like, I, I I usually I have a couple of little bells and I like to use them to clear space or clean space. And if you're not comfortable with, say, using smoke to do that because of different cultural appropriation, a bell's a good replacement because it's been used, like, if you're of Western, Western European descent, that kind of area, it's been used for that in that area to do that for quite some time. So no worries with that. Other uses are protection. Malicious spirits are supposed to flee from the sound because it's a pure sound. It's used in fertility spells and it can be used as part of like magical healing. Sound facilitates the healing, again, because of the association with clearing space or vanquishing or removing the evil eye, like it comes from that kind of thing. I read that the shape of bells is derived from sa- this, from sacred images of human genitalia. The body of the bell represents the vulva and the clapper of the penis. Alternatively, the bell body represents the womb and the clapper of the unborn child. And while I can see this, after reading a bit about how bells are made, like I'm not sure if, how I feel about that because it's quite a um, vigorous process that involves lots of beating of metal and I'm just like I don't know I don't know how that fits in the shape yeah I get it just the shape but it's like you're basically belting it into shape I don't know how I feel about that (laughs) (laughs) That, those two things going together but you know symbolic of birth Feels like you belt yeah. something out of your yeah. vagina. Yeah, yeah. Like let's make a vagina by like smashing it into shape. Yeah, no. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and I mean the other thing is like if you think about how the sounds produced when it has a clapper, you're like it's again it's a real like I'm using hand motion at least and she's just looking at me blankly, which is fine. Don't worry, I did this at work the other day <laughs> and someone laughed at me. <laughs> And I was like, oh. oh. Yeah, I've done that sort of hand motion with your fist kind of clenched and then, like, when people laugh, I just move it up to my head and go, yeah, it's funny. (laughs) 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 Yeah, so, like, did you just say, ha, 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 vaginas? No, it's immature. (laughs) Totally. (laughs) (laughs) You know what we like. Um, yeah. But, yeah, so, like, I get I get the, um, like, the sexual orientation, like, the, 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 the symbology of it. Mm. But um, 
I don't know. I never, I ne- don't, I don't, because I, when I think of bills, I think of like hand wrung bills. Yeah, I don't, I don't, <laughs> I don't go there. I get it, but I don't. So when I went to, um, uh, there used to be uh, Oxfam in, in Launceston and I went there to get a wedding present for someone and I said mm. I kind of want to get something really symbolic and yeah and I'm not really sure what to get them and uh, yeah. she suggested a bell with like a like it had a metal piece hanging from the side that was held okay. on by a ribbon yeah and that was that she said like you know the bell represents you know the woman and blah blah like yep. you know binary mm-hmm. um yeah so that's I guess I have heard that before in that yeah. kind of context yeah yeah I think I have as well but um yeah even just disregarding the very binary nature of it I just and maybe that's mm. why because well, I throw all the gender stuff out. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> In all so, of my pagan practice. So it doesn't really yeah. work for me. But also, like, yeah. the real violence <laughs> with yeah. it all. I'm like, you know, yeah. ringing the bell and how a bell is made. I'm just like, yeah, nah. Don't That's particularly not, yeah, you don't like, like that it. symbolism. But, yeah, yeah um, it is there if you want it. Yes, no yeah. judgment if you are a person that loves the yeah. gender stuff. And also, like... um. I think it's also considering as well, like it's a pretty, if you just have a little bell that you're ringing and it symbolises male and female for you or coming together or, you know, anything like that, it is in some ways like a real, like a nice representation, like it's nice and gentle. If you just got this little hand bell and that's how you feel about it, that is, yeah. But for me, I always think of a bell with like big arm movements, like a bigger handheld bell, and I'm like, I don't, I don't like that. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, a few interesting little things I read. The sound of church bells was thought to repel witches, and this was a common belief in Europe during the witch trials. Um. What and what was thought to happen was you'd ring the church bells, and for some reason that would cause the witch to fall off her broom mid-flight onto the ground because it was such a pure sound, which was weird in general because this kind of belief led to quite some interesting uses for the grease that was found on the bells, on church bells. So these are the big bells in like a church tower. And so this was the grease to make them sort of rotate on the bar that they had across, and I did read what that bar oh, was yeah. called. So the bell was hung from that bar, and it has a special name, which I didn't write down for no reason. Um, yeah. So the grease that they put on the church bells is a common component in goofer dust, which is used in hoodoo. I hope that's uh-huh. the right pronunciation for that because I know it goes by different different terms. My cat's just meowing at me. Um, the primary ingredient in this is, is gopher dust, is graveyard dirt in the gopher dust. Um, Slavic witches also traditionally use church bell grease for like a similar concoction to the gopher dust. I should have looked up what it does. I don't know if you know, but, yeah, no. But, yeah, so the church bell grease is a common ingredient in those two concoctions used by people who the church probably didn't like very much. And church bill grease, ironically, was also allegedly used as a primary ingredient in flying ointment, mm. which was favoured by Sweden's Easter witches. Uh-huh. But 
the sound of church bells was also meant to like frighten the witches and make them fall off their broomsticks. But it was also used in the flying ointment, which supposedly they used to fly on said broomsticks. History. I guess it's not making any sound when it's being put in places. I guess. I also read a few things that said there's an association between bells and the fae. I read a lot of things that talked about the iron in bells. Um, there were like bells were made of iron, but traditionally they were made of bell metal, which did not have any iron in it. But anyway, um, iron bells scare them off or at least agitate fairies. Bells made of iron, and I assume many non-religious, non-church bells, the ones made of the traditional bell metal, are also iron. Yeah, however, traditionally bells, say in Europe or in churches, were made from bell metal, which contained no iron. So if fairy protection is your main thing, get make sure you get an iron bell. Then I also read that the fae love the sound of bells and ringing bells can be used to please them or placate them. So um, keep that in mind <laughs> if you're worried about the fae in any way and are using a bell to deter them because it might not work. They might love it. Unless it's made with iron. <laughs> yeah. Maybe just if, that, if that's your thing, make sure you're getting an iron bell. Yeah, bells have an association with purifying and cleansing both because of the sound and because of the metal when it's iron particularly. But I'd say the sound in general is, is I feel that it's really purifying. So that's how I use them. And finally, I just wrote down some interesting uses for bells in witchcraft that I thought were cool. So you can use a bell to call in the quarters or the elements, which I think we have done before which I quite like. I think we have. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you can use it to represent the element of air because of the sound, which I also quite like. You know, gen- generally I'd use incense for air, but if you're somewhere where you can't have any kind of fire, you could use a bell, like the sound of the bell. Or it can also represent water. Didn't exactly say why, so I'd assume it's like the shape of it because it can hold. Uh, like a cup. Yeah, yeah, sort of thing. Yeah, um, yeah. Yeah, so like the womb, yeah, yeah, that kind of symbology in the quad, like in the quarters, like in the the four, the four quarters, or just in ritual in general. So if you need an air representation or a water representation, or both, um, cleansing or clearing space, protection. So if you want to use them for protection, attach or hang at your door, your altar, or even in like a child's room. Yeah. Next to my ancestor altar. Yeah, exactly. And those little bells are kind of like the witch's bells I was talking about before, so that kind Ah. of little tiny size. And they hang them up, yeah, yeah, like on a string like that, but they have lots of different little charms and things. So invoking, vanishing or calling spirits, invoking the goddess and or God. Another interesting one was clearing or charging crystals and other tools. So you ring the bell over them or around them. I haven't done that, but I'd like to, to charge my crystals using bells. That would be cool. I'd do that with my singing bowl. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Oh, to bring good fortune to your home, hang at your door. That was all. Oh. That was all oh. I had. I have a bell um, at my at my door. Yeah. And I, a piece of red string. Yeah. I My house came with a bell. But there's no, like, string attached to the clapper, so people just sort of, like, bash it. 
Um. And it goes donk because <laughs> it hits the side of the house. And I'm like, yeah, I should probably put some string on it. But, yeah, and I was thinking it was pretty cool. Like every time I come in, I did read this in a few places. Like every time you go into the house, you ring your bell to clear clear the way for you as well. Ah. And that's why there's, um, and I don't know if I believe this, but it was said that's why there's the, um, that's why they have bells on shopkeepers' doors. Like it's not just to, you know, signal that someone's coming in, but it's like to clear the space, like to sort of, yeah, they can't come in if they're got ill intent or something. So I did read that a, a couple of times as well. I think it's just to signal that there's someone coming in now generally, but it's like the tradition of it comes from like like cleansing or clearing the person as they come in. I like yeah. that, like leaving the the your day at the door before you go inside the yeah. house almost. Yeah, yeah. I like yeah. that idea for like personally and, you know, a lot of people just have a door, like a bell at their door because they don't have a doorbell, like they have an actual physical ringable bell. And, yeah, there's one at my house, <laughs> so I thought I'll put a little bit of string on the end and I can ring it before yeah. I go in. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Do you have any other bells in your house? I have, I have a few bells. I have a, like a, it might actually be iron, I'm not sure, but a tiny little very nice sounding bell that's, what, two inches, five centimetres tall? I think that would be about right, um, that I have on my altar. And I have a quite large, I think it's like 10, 12 centimetre bell, that was part of my wedding. So we opened the wedding ceremony by ringing the bell and I now have that bell. Uh, I didn't for ages uh. because he took the main part of the bell when we split and I had the, I had the clapper, so I had the penis bit yeah. and he had the vagina bit. Uh. But, yeah, I saw him like a little while ago and he was like, do you have the middle of the bell? Like do you have the, the clapper? And I was like... Yeah, I have the penis part of the bell. I didn't tell him that. Um, but he said I could have the bell, and I was actually quite pleased. So I have the bell hanging up in my house now. Oh, lovely. Yeah. And I think, yeah. it's, I think it is bell metal because it's, it's quite nice sounding, and I think we got it from an antique store, so it would be old. Yeah. 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 Yay. Oh, that's yeah. really nice. Yeah. And yeah. I, I am pleased to have it. I keep looking over there, Liz, because it's over there hanging up. Yeah. <laughs> you can see it yeah yeah. <laughs> yeah and I think I might yeah. have a few other little bells like those decorative ones that you know elderly ladies would have that had flowers on them I might have a few that have passed to me but I don't know where they are yeah but yeah those are my main ones I have one at my door my altar one and the wedding bell yeah 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 yeah, yeah. cool hmm. I also have a singing bowl, but I don't know where it is. You're saying about because I was going to say, what bells do you have? And I know you have your singing bowl. Mm, yeah, so I do have my singing bowl, which I probably use more like a bell than I do as a singing bowl. I actually yeah. like the way the vibrations feel coming off it, so I use it a yeah. lot to. Do you use it like to setting up space and clearing yeah. space? Nice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I use it to like also help myself get into that ritual mind. Like it's the start of you know, sitting there and, and, you know, cleansing the space and yeah. that kind of thing. And and sometimes I let, you know, breathe into the the vibrations. So Yeah. I hadn't thought to do that. That's cool. I like that idea. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then I have, yeah, the one at my, the at little, my ancestor altar. The little bells, yeah. 
Yeah. Um, I have like a handbell also on my altar, but I do tend to use my singing bowl. Like I probably could move that bell on if I wanted to. And I also have a bell, yeah, as I mentioned before, at my front door. Yeah. It's um, just hanging from the door, so just a little tiny one. Does it ring? It doesn't remember. ring when you open the door. You have to ring it. But it like, does. It's you got its actually, and you have to it's actually. Only, yeah. It's only this yeah. big, so it's like sitting on the, the curtain ah. rod that doesn't have a curtain. Yeah. I know where it is now because I was like, why have I not seen it? Yeah. Yeah. But um, I read that having a bell um, with red string at your front door was good luck, So, mm. which is why it's there. Yeah. So. I didn't read about the colour, but I didn't go into like the colour of the string on the bells, but, mm. yeah, I did find, which I think I can find again to put in the show notes, like a how-to of making your own witch's bells, so the yeah. different charms and their meanings and that kind of thing. So I'll Ooh. try Yeah, I'll try and find yeah, that. Yeah, please. Yeah, yeah. I will. That might be fun for yeah. my new house. Yeah. It's literally like... um it's like the string of bells behind you and you just put other things between them and, you know. Yeah. Which, but it's yeah. very nice. But, yeah, that's why I didn't really go into it because it's you literally string charms on a string and then hang them in certain places mm-hmm. in your house to do stuff and you mm-hmm. imbue, like, the different symbols with, you know, your energy and how you feel, like, what they symbolise and things like that. So it's not it's not very technical, but, um, yeah, they're very nice. But, yeah, I hadn't heard of them before, which is bells, like that particular mm. interpretation, I suppose. Mm. Yeah. You just made me think of, so because, um, like, I'm building a house at the moment mm. and I'm physically standing there every day building. No, I'm not. paying <laughs> <laughs> someone. But I. I'd be really impressed. <laughs> if I was building my own house. Oh, yeah. We'd be here. I would be really impressed. Yeah. It'd be a little while, I think. It'd take you a, just a few hundred years to take me that long. <laughs> Easily. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, You're having your house built. Yeah. Even even though it's a tiny house or well, a small house, it's not a tiny house. The builder has been using our shipping container as the place to store stuff, including the keys to the house. So... It's okay. got our lock and our pin on it, so I've just been going and helping myself ah, <laughs> into okay. the house. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I knew that they were going to be plastering soon, so I wanted to do some magical stuff in the walls, like Ooh. some some kind of – I wanted to leave a shoe like in that old way, but I couldn't do it. I couldn't I couldn't bring myself to do it. It was just too big. At least you weren't leaving a dead cat. <laughs> I did and think the- about leaving like some – some bones, but then I was like, no, I'm really against that. You could put some um, But I did put, put some I could have. It's, it's too late now, um, so that it's already closed up. I did put some things in the walls. Soon you'll and have I also, it and you could just put a hole in the wall and just put it in there. And just yeah. like put it in, yeah, stick a claw in there or something. <laughs> well, I probably could still do that because yeah. the wires, the, the PowerPoints and stuff still open, so I could probably get like cat sheath and drop it in. Yeah. So I went in and I like. <laughs> drew um bind runes and stuff all over the walls and and I wrote a like this poem to um a deity on the wall and yeah. I just did all this like protection stuff. Awesome. And then he I won't think that's <laughs> the builder, weird at all. Builder rang me up 
And I said, oh, you probably noticed that there was some stuff on the wall. And was he was mine. like, oh, yeah, we thought we thought someone had come in and, and drawn on the walls. And I was like, yeah, it was me. <laughs> and he was like, oh, well, you know. And I was like, oh, I really want to do some other protections and stuff in the house. Um, Like I want to leave some things in the walls. And I've just been like thinking about how to have this conversation. <laughs> and he was like, you're paying for it, do what you want. So he was like, we're plastering next week, so you'll have to go in this weekend. So I was like, okay. <laughs> so I went and did all this stuff. And I left like little notes, like I um, put things in the wall and I left notes and I said, plasterers, please leave in the wall. Um, <laughs> so, <Wow>. yeah. <laughs> so hopefully they did. Uh, but I start on echidnas. Woohoo! I'm really looking forward to this. You can't see me now. It's <laughs> basically just cat in the way. That's all right. Cat butt's fine. I wanted to do echidnas because I came home the other day and there was just echidna outside my house, just like eating some ants and stuff. And um, so I was chilling, chilling with the echidna for a bit. I love echidnas. Me too. And then the other day I went to the other house site and and there was echidna just hanging out there. And I was like, if this isn't a sign I need to do echidnas for for the podcast, I don't know what is. So... I have a very long love of echidnas. Like yeah. even as a little kid, like I just adored them. And my mum loves to tell this story, which is to embarrass me. But <laughs> now you're taking it on as your own. <laughs> now I'm putting my power back into it. Mm. When I was little, I was outside playing. I must have been about four years old. I was really uh-huh. small. And I ran inside the house and I was like, Mom, Mom, quick, quick, there's a pineapple, there's a pineapple pushing up the floorboards. And she was like, what the hell is she on about? And she came out and there's this echidna digging into our, into our floorboards in the outside. So, so you're doing, you're doing a, a, a topic, you're doing, your topic is pineapples. It's pineapples, yeah. I guess I knew the word porcupine. Ah, yeah, good <laughs> and point. And so I, I saw the echidna and I was like, it's a pineapple. Actually, um, I have a cousin and she quite she she has a little toy echidna. She's three, and she calls them porcupines. Ah, but she can't say echidna, or she might say por- like port porter pine or something like that. But yeah, yeah, weird. Could so, almost say, say that, but, but not echidna. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> Um, yes, yeah, so I love echidnas, and yeah. like obviously they are a very Australian slash Papua New Guinea animal. So I'll talk a little bit more about Ooh, that in yeah, a yeah. bit. I kind of wanted to start a little bit with the myths and legends and other representations because that's kind of part of their long history. Is mm-hmm. that because they do belong to this continent, they have turned up in many First Nations stories. So mm-hmm. I kind of talk to Hannah about this as well and I'm not really sure where it's okay for me to share Dreamtime stories. So I'm just going to say that there are many stories about echidnas and a lot of the stories revolve around how the echidna got its spines. They have spines, not the other thing. Quills, Quills. yeah, they don't have quills. They have spines. They're made out of modified hair. So... Yeah, I, I didn't know there's a difference. I hope you talk about it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, cool. um, and so a lot of the ways that the spines were made could yeah. be like through the, the echidna ending up in a spiky bush, and the spikes oh, yeah. ended up staying, or like someone had done something bad and they got hit with lots and lots of spears, and then oh, that's okay. how yep. they 
got yeah. their spine. So that's kind of where the stories yeah. revolve around. If you want to know more, there are Dreamtime stories on YouTube um, told by Indigenous people, so yeah. do look them up. Did you find some to put in the show notes? I can put some in the show notes if for sure. Can. I just don't know idea. if they'll be region locked. So Yeah, that's true. Yeah. yeah. Yes, they might be just stuck stuck to Australia, but yeah. um, if look. you're not in Australia, yeah. have a look and see have what you can find. There's a lot on ABC. They used to have this Dreamtime story show that I loved. Yeah. 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 All right. So other things with First Nations people in Australia with the with the long history with echidnas. Echidnas were a, or could still be a food source. They're wholly protected under the law now for everyone. So there are different uh, rules for Indigenous people that yeah. may be allowed to still hunt. I'm just not sure. Yeah. Cave paintings. There are cave paintings of echidnas. Which is really cool. Some of them are like 9,000 years old. So there's some at a place called Quirkin Galleries at Lakefield National Park in Queensland. Cool. And another at King Edward River Crossing in the Kimberley Ranges in Western Australia. <laughs> yeah, so I think that that's kind of yeah. cool. Like we need to talk about the history. I just don't yeah. know at what level is not respectful. So yeah. I'm just going to try and keep that brief. Yeah. Obviously the history is long. Yeah, yeah. In terms of other associations, we have the Kidna on our five cent coin. Yes. Did you used to do like the like the paper rubbings? rubbings? Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yes. And of course, like often it's a mascot for other other people like um like at the olympics we had millie the echidna in the year 2000 if you remember her she was yellow <laughs> i do not but i was looking at mascots because the paris mascots have been released their hats their hats <laughs> their hats huh i love that that's different it is really different but yeah they, yeah they were saying it's usually animals and i was like oh when you said it then i thought yeah we yep. would have had to have an yeah. echidna for one of our Olympics, and we did. Yeah, <laughs> I don't. Did. Yeah. I don't remember, obviously, but yes. <laughs> and I have to share this like first description of an echidna by a white person, essentially. So it was in 1792 while moored at Adventure Bay, which is here oh, in cool. Tasmania, in Van Diemen's Land. Ship officer George Tobin described the echidna as a kind of sloth. About the size of a roasting pig with a proboscis two or three inches in length. On the back were short quills. They're not quills. <laughs> like that of a porcupine. And the animal was roasted and found of a delicate flavor. So, of course, they freaking ate it, didn't they? Yeah. It's like, what else are you going to do? Well, they had probably been on that ship for over a year. Ow, my cat's biting me. For over a year. So, um, yeah, they probably hadn't had fresh meat in ages, but still. No. But I just love the description. A sloth, kind of sloth about the size of a roasting pig. (laughs) Well, you could tell what they were thinking about, weren't you? Like, we're starving and we've probably all got scurvy. What can we eat? That thing moves. Let's eat that. (laughs) And it's not fast. (laughs) And it's got all these spine things. Surely we can get them out. It'll be fine. We're desperate. Yeah. Yeah. Desperate times. Yeah, not that... Hard to grab. No. So, because I've rescued them. Okay. They do get along and they just waddle along if you've never seen one. They do. They're they very really cute. do. 
<laughs> okay, so let's just talk a little bit about the science. So echidnas belong to mammals. They are actually a mammal. And there are three groups of mammals in this mm-hmm. world. There are monotremes, which is what the echidnas are, marsupials, which, you know, is anything with a pouch, and then placenti- placentals, which are like people. anything that has a placenta, <laughs> like people. Like people. So echidnas belong to the oldest order of mammals. It's the oldest order of mammals called Monotremata. And they have been around about approximately 120 million years. So they're like quite a big, long, monotremes have been around forever. They come from the, monotreme comes from the Greek word mono meaning one and Mm -hmm. tremata meaning whole so (laughs) what that's referring to this one whole is that they have a single opening in the cloaca which is Mm -hmm. used for urinary fecal and reproductive products so it all comes out of the one hole it's not like it's separated like it is in us i think i knew that and did not want to know that so i pushed it out (laughs) of my brain i I think it's important I did to know, know because yeah. it is a primitive, yeah, primitive. I say with bunny ears, sort yeah. of way to to excrete waste. Um, and I'm going to talk about that when we talk about the magical stuff. So do Ooh, sort of keep okay. that in mind. Yeah. Think about the one hole. So yes. hot. <laughs> so both both of our topics had a weird sexual element to it. <laughs> Oh yeah, I can't wait to talk about the sex organs because it's fascinating in the in the kidneys. She studied zoology. Can you tell? <laughs> okay, so mom, I saw someone say that monotremes are a mix of reptile and mammal, and I was like, oh. okay, I guess that's how you can describe it because they lay eggs. <laughs> but not yeah, very so good reasoning. But anyway. <laughs> So monotremes are a mammal that lay eggs but also secrete milk to feed their babies. So, um, yes, that's why they are in that family. There are three monotreme species in the world today. There are echidnas, two are echidnas, and one is the platypus. The long-beaked echidna can be found in Papua New Guinea and the short-beaked echidna is in Australia and Papua New Guinea and, of course, the platypus Ah. is found here in Australia. So the the, the the Short beaked, no, long beaked. Mm. That's in Papua New Guinea only. Yeah, it used to be here. Okay. Yeah, that's Um, right. Yeah. Is it? it... They look weird, man. You're like, what did they look like? You got to Google it. Yeah. Because I was just like, are they bigger or smaller? Like, and then you were like, they have a longer beak. Yeah. Which is why they're called long beaked, like a longer nose. Yes. Thank you for clearing that up because I'm the kind of person who wouldn't have thought of that. They like look weird, penisy, long. <laughs> Can you tell that these both these topics have a slight sexual bent to them? Oh wow, that's weird. It has a weird look of a kiwi to me, like it's long. Ah, yeah, and it's just its head. Yeah. In this particular picture, I'm looking at. It's creepy looking. You just kind of wonder how it gets around without like hitting its nose because their noses are or beaks are quite um, fragile. So because short-beaked echidnas are in, a, they're the only one we have in Australia. They're the ones I'm going to concentrate on today. Yeah. But I'm sure a lot of this information can be extrapolated to both. So if you do live in Papua New Guinea and you listen to us, I don't think we have anyone. But if you are, then <laughs> then I'm sure you can use the same information. 
So one thing to note, though, is the Tasmanian echidna is actually a subspecies of the mainland one. Oh, it is. That's right. It has more less spines and more Yay. fur. So, um, yeah. So that's yeah. yes. So I will talk about oh, some cute. of those things. Oh, um, and by subspecies, it just means that they are different enough to look at to be considered different but if they were together they could breed and have babies so yeah Yeah. okay all right so the scientific name for the short-beaked echidna is (laughs) tachyglossus arculetus probably ruined that okay so they are considered common and secure so you can see them all over the place they are declining in numbers but they Mm. are still common and secure Okay, and they are wholly protected by the law, so don't interfere with them, don't kill them, don't take them to have in your house, like if you find them dead, I guess. They are wholly protected by the law, so don't interfere with them. Look, don't touch. Don't touch. Yeah. They're found all over Tasmania, uh, but they're more likely to be found in drier spaces. So, you know, you're more likely to see them in the East Coast. But they can live in rainforests, the Alpine, in deserts. You can find them on deserts on the mainland. Yeah. They don't really have any particular habitat requirements other than food. So as long as there are ants and termites, they're happy. So the one that was outside my house was digging in the rocks, eating ants. So it was really cute. Cool. Yeah, and I waited long enough for it to think it was safe and it started, like, reading around and stuff and I was like, ooh, filming. <laughs> so cool. So echidnas can weigh up to seven kilos. Whoa. Um, I didn't know they got that big. Yeah. Um, generally they they don't get that big in the wild. Like they tend to okay. get to about six kilos, but in captivity still. they have been weighed in at seven. It's pretty big though still. Big. Yeah. Yeah. And the Tasmanian echidna is smaller than the mainland one. So if you've seen yeah, them on the mainland, they may look bigger. Yeah. 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 Normally it's the other way around. The island effect means yeah. you have bigger animals, but in this case, it's not true. They can live up to 50 years. Holy crap. And they sexually mature quite late. So like five years or something like that. Wow. So it's like, yeah, they can live a really long time and they have actually quite good memories. So Ooh, uh, that's yeah. cool. Yeah, they did, like, experiments on some, like, tests, like, taught them some things and then five years later found they still had those behaviours. So, That's yeah. Cool. <laughs> yeah. So they have a tubular beak-like nose slash mouth with a worm-like tongue and it uses sticky saliva to eat its food. So they don't have any teeth. And then what, they use what the – What is their beak made of? Um, I didn't write that down, but it's, I'm assuming it's cartilage sort of stuff. I'm not a hundred percent certain though. Okay. I'd have to look it up, but they're easily damaged. So like if you actually pick Mm. up an echidna and drop it, you can break their nose and that can kill them. So please don't touch them unless you know what you're doing. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So they are, um, so yeah, they use their, their mouth of their roof plate, like their roof the top of their mouth to grind yep. up their food and eat the paste like that's how they eat oh okay fur wise they're kind of like a reddish brown to black fur and they have uh someone described it as stout spines on their back and because they are modified hairs they can be shed like hair as well oh cool yeah so then it's not like they're going to drop them all but you know they could lose yeah. one and it's going to be fine yeah okay 
Yeah, so the Tasmanian echidna has more fur and less spines than the mainland ones. And by mainland, for anyone outside of Australia, I mean the big chunk part of Australia, our little island. (laughs) Not not Tasmania and its surrounding (laughs) island. (laughs) That's right. Apparently I read somewhere that echidnas can um, individually control movement of each spine. Wow. Isn't that cool? Really? Yeah, yeah. Whoa. And appara- and they can use them to be like like if they were in a in a like little like tight place, they can use their back spines to help pull themselves up like oh, with their feet. Cool. So yeah, they're absolute escape um, artists. Um, like you can't keep creepy. them in. Yeah. Yeah. So like they can make them lay flat against their bodies or stand them stand up. More up. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That's a little yeah. creepy. Yeah, and because I just imagine them getting 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 a fright and them going like cats and all their spines standing up. I know they don't do that, but still, that's <laughs> but, what the image that, that came so to my cute. head. Yeah, it's like, <laughs> the little tongue comes out of their beak and just their tongue pokes out and their spines go out. That's not That doesn't happen in real life, but that's just the image that I got. There's a kid's story in there somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so when echidnas, oh, when echidnas feel danger or annoyance, all their spines stand erect. <laughs> so there you go. That was the next note. I completely so forgot. They so they do puff up like kitties when they're afraid. Probably not yeah. that dramatically, but yeah. kind of, sort of. That's really funny. Yeah. I'm going to keep that mental image forever. <laughs> Who else wants to raise echidnas? I do. <laughs> yeah. I have to be one more level up to be able to raise echidnas. You have to do it as an advanced care and I'm only an intermediate. So they have strong – oh, they have tails. Sorry. They have tails and their tails have spines as well. They're just like little stubby little tails. Yeah, I think when I looked at the pictures of the long-beaked ones, you could see the tail and it was creepy because they seemed to be taller. But um, I think it's because their spines were different. Well. have longer legs, don't they? Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. They just look like a naked, tall echidna, and it was wrong. Anyway, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> That's right. It's just weird because it's not something you see every day. Yeah. Okay, they have strong claws, and yep. their hind feet are rotated backwards. So instead of oh. being this way, they're that way. So their feet, like their heels, face together. So the back uh, feet. The back feet heels face towards the front feet heels. Yes. So their heels face each other. Uh, that's backwards. Yes. Yes, their yeah. heels face each other. Yes. Sorry, I was misinterpreting. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Yeah, their heels face. Yes. Yeah, so they face. They rotate. That, that's that. a bit weird. And I had to look it up in pictures because I hadn't noticed it. No. Yeah. <laughs> and like I've picked them up, like, and I still yeah, haven't noticed. Done, so yeah. animal rescues. I've done it yeah. for Bonnerong. So. Yeah, and then yeah, and that's one of the things because their feet are so like they're so good at digging. They can dig deep into the earth really, and really quickly. quickly. So, I've seen them on the roadside do it, like just sort of the earth just seems to come up around them and they yeah. disappear, yeah, literally yeah. in front of your eyes, and it's just you're afraid. It's a real pain in the ass when you're trying to rescue them and they're trying to dig deeper, and yeah. you're trying to get them out and they like really really dig in yeah Yeah, there's so the secret to it is is that you 
you just have to get your hands underneath. Once you get your hands underneath, you just wait and eventually they relax. It's like they don't forget that you're there, but they just relax and then you can lift them up a bit and get your hands under further and then you just wait again. Like it can take like ages to rescue one. Don't use a shovel because you can really hurt them. No, you can hurt Um, them. Yeah, because I thought that I was like, oh, you could get something. No. I mean, you need gloves. But <laughs> yeah. Besides your hand because, yeah, you could really hurt them. Yeah. And the other thing I got told when I was doing the Bonnerong training, a police officer found an injured echidna on the side oh. of the road and he grabbed it and put it on the back seat of his car and then it dug its way into the <laughs> into the seat and they had to, like, take it all apart to get this echidna. Oh, so it's, it, it got through. It got it dug all the way have, down through the leather. Yeah, they have really long claws. Like you're talking like not quite your finger length, but like they're long yeah. claws. They yeah. could easily just rip us rip fabric apart. Yeah, yeah. 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 And also think about that, like when you think about magic, like that's kind of cool. That and the other thing is cool. that they have survived bushfires because they dig to the ground and their spines get burnt on the top. But they're but, just like hair. But so. they're fine. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. Modified, black modified hair. Is that what you said? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it would yeah. be fine. Yeah, it'd be smelly because yeah. like their yeah. hair. Ugh. And I'm sure but, it was hot and it hurt them. Uh, yeah, for other reasons. But they survived. Which we'll get to in a second. Yeah, they have survived. Um, yeah, and just had burns, like burnt patches, yeah. so on their quills, on their quills, on their spines. Oh my god. <laughs> you told us not to, and then look what you did. Not quills. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so, yeah, and I just said here that those bitches can climb. They are escape artists. So one of the but rescues that I, that I did was um, they had a wire fence around, which they had their dog in their yard, like, you know, contained completely. Yeah. The echidna climbed over the fence. So don't don't think that an echidna can't climb. It can. It can climb up wire and that's when it got in the backyard and then the dog got the echidna and then oh, the dog no. had to go to the vet and the echidna had to be also go to the vet. And- <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. But, like, you know, the people were, up, were really upset. They were like, we didn't expect it to get in. I'm like, well, you wouldn't. Why would you? Why would I you wouldn't. know that echidnas could climb? Climb. You know, a wire fence. Climb. A big wire fence. Like it was like one and a half metres tall. Whoa. I want to see it like part way up. Yeah, yeah. Wow, it's just hanging there up this wire fence. That's yeah, like one and a half meters tall. Yeah, and devil like devils can climb trees. These are things that people just don't know. So I didn't know that, but that makes more sense than a freaking echidna climb. <laughs> <laughs> but then I, you know, I've seen a staffy climb like a one meter high fence. That's because it, like a dog, the staffy type. But those little dogs, I've seen them yeah. climb like really high fences as well. So, you know, little pudgy animal doesn't mean anything. Yeah. They can still climb. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm still going on about the science, but it's fascinating and I'm and yeah. I'm really sorry. It does play into, I think, the magical side of it as yeah. well. So one of the things about echidnas is that they do have pouches, but, but they're not real pouches. They're pseudo pouches. So what happens okay. is they have really kick-ass abs and they can form a a pouch using their abs essentially so their lateral muscles on their stomach sort of curl up and it creates like a little pouch that the egg sits in that's cool but amazingly creepy and the boys can do it too they can't lay eggs but they can make a pouch pretend they could which is why you can't sex part of the reason why you can't sex an echidna 
unless you find it with an egg in its pouch, there's no way for you to know oh, that wow. it's male okay. or female. So, oh. yeah. So yeah. We, we're talking like even the experts have trouble with this. Yeah. So um, wow. there's a really okay. one of the our biggest experts. Her name is Riss Miller. <laughs> And she is from Kangaroo Island. And I yep. did an echidna workshop with her in Tasmania and we got to cool. dissect echidnas. Yeah. And it was fascinating. And I know this is where I'm really confusing as a vegan, but I really found it interesting because like and like these echidnas have been put in the freezer for this class. They had died from road kill. Like yeah. cars yeah. are one of the biggest killers of echidnas. When we dissected one of them, um, that's when we found the milk. Okay. Patches, and it meant that the baby in the den probably starved to death. Oh. So that was awful. Yep. Because they don't carry mm. their babies in the pouch in Tasmania. Mm. They do in the mainland for a bit. We've got special ones. Ours have dens. <laughs> Theirs have a den, but they also carry their babies in their pouch. They're not real pouch. Yeah, they're, they're pseudo pouches, the pouches that exist only when they have babies. Okay. I, it's it's crazy isn't it yeah i I feel like i feel like being pregnant wow (laughs) let me just like get my muscles together (laughs) (laughs) let me flex i mean i think it's not like that but i think they actually puff up but (laughs) yeah there would be more involved but only sort of (laughs) okay and they get their eggs in their pouch so how do they get their eggs from their cloaca to their pouch. The one hole. Their one hole. The, the one, hole. one hole to rule them all. <laughs> <laughs> one hole to bind them. <laughs> one hole to bring them all and in the darkness bind them. That's a story uh, about kidneys, obviously. <laughs> well, yeah, he must have come over here and, and seen the... <laughs> they're cloacas he got up close and personal what the echidna does is it sits in a it gets itself in a seated like a sitting position really like yeah and up, like bends its little tail around yeah yeah, yeah. essentially really and then um the cloaca can extend and they deposit the little tiny egg into the pouch with the cloaca Oh, okay. They It took them really long. They only figured this out like in the last, I don't know, like 15 years or something like that, 20 years. They had, they didn't know. They didn't know how it happened before. And then just I think it was Riss Miller. She saw it happen. So That's um, pretty cool because, again, like yeah. when you see if you have never seen an echidna, just let's look up an echidna because, like, they do sort of roll into balls. Like that's a protective mechanism that, you know, most people have seen who have seen them. So I guess that makes sense. I just smash their heads to the ground. It makes me laugh. It's like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And literally anyway. it looks like it would hurt them. But, yeah. But when yeah. It, it, if you see them walking around, thinking of them curling into that ball just sort of doesn't work out. But mm. then you see them doing it. It's like, oh, yeah, they, they can manage that. But They have yeah. killer abs and they are flexible. Yeah. <laughs> they are the yoga animal. <laughs> oh, I should write that down. Okay, so I I'm sorry, I still got more animal. science stuff. <laughs> no, it's okay. This is really interesting. So they don't have a nipple or a teat. They have what's these like circular hairy patches on their skin okay. called milk patches, which secretes milk, and then the puggle sucks from the from the hairy patches. So now, just keep in mind, everyone, puggle. 
that's a baby echidna. That's oh. really what they're called. They are called puggles. So that's all. Cool. They're called puggles. Except the for most... when they're like really pink. Yeah. Creepy. And they don't have their spines, which is also weirdly creepy because, yeah, they're born and they're just little tiny peanuts of little pink dough. They're so cute. Looks yeah. like jelly beans with eyes. Yeah. And then other, like, other non Australians will see them and go, oh, why is that cute? And we're like, <laughs> <laughs> yes, puggles. That's the sound we make when we see them. Yes, puggles. Yes. Uh, yes. So, like, one of one of the reasons why I would love to look after puggles is that when you feed the baby babies, they you just put the milk in your hand and they suck it from your hand because obviously they don't need a teat; they just need a patch yeah. of milk to suck from. Yeah. So that's pretty cool. Yeah. <laughs> so they have excellent hearing, and they can also pick up ground vibrations. They oh, also yeah. have very good eyesight, so it's a myth that they have terrible ah. eyesight. It's just they don't just have they just don't have color vision. So, right. yeah. but they see movement, they see shapes, and all of that. But okay. yeah, they have really good eyesight. Now, the hearing. Yeah, they don't have. The, what What are their ears like? So it's like a hole in the head with a skin yeah. flap over it. So yeah, yeah so they don't they have can like still an hear. ear. They've no. just got a hole, but they have very yeah. good hearing. Yeah, because yeah, yeah. they. Again, another weird mental image of an echidna with a big human he- ear stuck on the <laughs> side of it. So it's like, I know they don't have ears. So I know they don't have like, they've just got a hole to get the sound in, if that makes sense. So they don't, like we have our ears that funnel the sound into our, like the wave into our ears, but they don't. But they've still got really good hearing. That's cool. Yeah, that's why you yeah. never see them wearing headphones because they don't have ears yeah. to hold them on. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Uh, <laughs> they don't need so them. Stupid. They don't need them. Okay, sex organs are completely inside the body, and that includes the males. So the penis and testes are inside. So that's why if you find a kidney, you can't sex them because you can't tell the difference. Like, and they've okay. only got one hole. So yeah. So unless they've got an egg on them, it's really hard for them to tell. I mean, Riss Miller yeah. kind of can feel around. Oh, you should Google echidna penis because it is fucking weird as. They have, like, multiple heads. Um, <laughs> do it. It's awesome. <laughs> I'm suggesting you do Not that now. <laughs> Stop what Again, you're doing right now. I, d- I don't want to interrupt this too much. So. <laughs> By going, oh, no, it's going on forever. <laughs> Mm-hmm. <laughs> there was one that was really hung at a zoo and it did actually have it on the outside, which is, and they took a whole bunch of photos of it. Uh, <laughs> I guess that was. So, a can they one. like make it be outside? Not no. generally. I think this one okay. might have just been uh, just an ex- exhibitionist. Okay. <laughs> or broken, maybe. That's, That's what I, I mean. I'm like, going to go with exhibitionist. Naturally, can that happen or is that a problem for them? I don't think it's normal. But I'm not sure. You'd have okay. I'd have to look it up. I can't remember. I just remember the pictures when it made all the rounds. It was on the front of newspapers. <laughs> oh, <God>. <laughs> <laughs> Never I was talking about the echidna penis. The things they report on in Australia. <laughs> I mean, it was pretty weird looking. Uh, okay, yes, and sexual maturity is at five years of age. They have a lower body temperature than normal mammals. So, like, oh. the, 
I shouldn't say normal mammals, they're most mammals because <laughs> they are still a mammal and they yes, are still they are. normal. Yes. So we and most mammals yeah. have a body temperature of 37 degrees and theirs is approximately 31 to 33 oh. degrees. Oh, I wow, guess that, that is a lot less. reptile side that they're talking yeah. about. I guess. So which means they're unable to survive outside for long periods oh. when the temperature is greater than 35 degrees so they can die from oh. heat heat stroke okay. or from stress yeah. so yeah. like so people think echidnas are nocturnal but they only yep. are in super hot climates like here they're uh, out during the day in tassie yeah. yeah 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 okay so yeah so it depends on where they live they prefer to eat early morning and late afternoon which does also feed into the nocturnal myth i guess yeah yeah but not yeah. fully yeah yeah if they're out in winter here, you'll see them out during the day because it's just yeah. they, don't, they don't care. And they can mm-hmm. kind of hibernate. They do this thing called torpor, which is which I've talked about before, not torpor, but hibernating um, yeah. on the podcast before. So it's done to save energy. So they just drop their body temperature and that just means that they go to sleep. And they can do it at any time of the year, but mm-hmm. generally it's during February-ish and then okay. they wake up when the winter about the winter solstice. So that's why they're like a symbol for the winter solstice. Hang on, so start in February? Yeah, they tend to go in late February into into And then torpor. they go to about June. Yeah. Okay. Because yeah. uh, females second... go a little bit longer, but yeah. males get it. Because you said the winter solstice, but down here, because I was like, February to December. No, no, no. Uh, Ours. Ours. Yeah, sorry. So Australian June. winter solstice, which is yeah. June. Yeah. Yeah. So, so like, which is why that's, that's not a very good strategy for being alive at all. Hibernating no. for basically the whole year. No. Yeah. Here. No. No. Yeah. Not, not Northern Hemisphere. No. No. I don't know why um, I even thought that. <laughs> I don't know. But that, you know. If you you know how they sometimes see kidnas with like little Santa hats, buy them and put them on your Christmas tree because it's a perfect kind of crossover between the northern True. hemisphere winter True. and now. Yeah. And then waking up. Okay. Mm-mm-mm-mm-mm. They have really huge home ranges. So they can range oh. from 20 to 420 acres. Wow. That's a lot. So it's really important, you know, when people see them and they'll pick them up off the road and then they'll drive them down the road and or like away into a bush and let them go, that kills them. Don't do that. Like possums, relocating can kill them. So if you do see one on the road and you feel compelled to help it, just move it to Get the it edge of the road in the, the road. direction it was going in. Like yes. don't don't drive it and take it out of its range. And they probably have a baby in the den somewhere. Yeah, so that but they have big home territories, but they have yeah. territories like they have a range that they they have a range because they don't yeah. defend their territories like they yeah. they don't have any defense mechanisms in that kind of way. So yeah, 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 yes. but they have a territory. Yeah. They have they have, they have a range that they, they use. have a space yeah. of theirs. Yeah. yeah, don't remove them from it. Which they will share with other echidnas. It's not like okay. it's theirs, but it's they just don't interact with each other. So okay. Yeah. yeah, but yeah. like you said, so it's not a territory. They don't defend it, but don't take them out of it. Yeah, that's yeah. right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then just taking them off the road and putting them back on the side that they're coming from, useless, like put them in the direction they were going. Yeah, so just <laughs> probably turn around and go back onto the road. Yeah. Like, why the hell did you take me back? 
they have good memories, so you know they know what they're doing. <laughs> you've I mean, just put a, across a road, but you've just put a road in the way. I mean, if that is a fifty yeah. years, yeah, you've put a road in their territory, probably. Yeah, Stupid. yeah, in their sorry home range. Yeah, she was right. very. Riz yeah. Miller was very adamant that it wasn't a territory. Yeah, <laughs> so I understand and territory, I, and I can understand that terminology. They don't defend it, but no. yeah. they have a space yeah. they stay in. Yeah, Maybe. yeah, yeah. They have their home. Yeah. And it can be up to 420 acres. <laughs> Greedy <laughs> bastards. They do have predators, both the babies and the adults. So, you know, it's not foolproof. Um, mm. So less so for Tasmania, but like they have goannas, quolls, devils, dingoes, large snakes, foxes, and cats. So, you know, yeah. when we talk about people not letting their cats out, this is what we're talking about. They can kill echidnas. Of course, feral cats are probably more likely to yeah. go for them. But, and all they do is they roll them on their back and kill them yeah. by their bellies. Yeah. So it's not hard to take them out if they wanted to. And then the bigger and one of their biggest killers is humans and roadkill. Yeah. So Spires. yeah, and spines can puncture tires. So don't run over them. Yeah, wow! I didn't know that. I did wonder. Yeah, yeah. Avoid them if you can. I mean, yeah. sometimes they, you know, you go around a corner and they're just there and that's, you know. And if you do hit them, check to see if they're still alive and call your local wildlife rescue. <laughs> yeah, you should stop right now and put that number in your phone of your local wildlife rescue so you can call them. Okay, behaviour. I just want to go on through behaviour and then I promise I'll get to magic. I know I've been going on forever. That's okay. We know it's really good. <laughs> oh, my God, my okay. cat. I did when I was reading through this, especially when I got to the behavior and stuff. I was like, "Oh fuck, I'm an echidna." <laughs> I was going to say they're the cats of the metronome. Yeah, they probably are the cats of the. Uh, except they don't care about other other echidnas. <laughs> In the bad way, like yeah, not, yeah, but yeah. Like cats would attack another cat. Yeah. Um, okay. So light affected behavior. Light affected. So. While they can torpor any time of the year, hibernation usually starts in late summer and males arise during the winter solstice. Females who don't produce young usually rise in spring, so they will yeah. rise later. Yeah, so it's a perfect seasonal observation. Yeah. Of course, the temperature influences, so I mentioned before about them coming out at night if it's yeah. like northern Australia, but if it's yeah. southern Australia or it's a really hot day, they might come out morning and night, that kind of mm. thing. They use their noses like uh, to lift heavy, like a crowbar to lift heavy objects so they can lift That's stones cool. with them and stuff. Yeah, cool. Um, they've been known to climb over two-metre-high wire fences, demolish soft concrete, and even go down unsecured drain pipes. So don't underestimate them. That was from no. Riss Miller. She said, don't underestimate them. I love her, <laughs> in case you can't tell. <laughs> I do have more people in here than her, but she is the Australian expert on them. So when disturbed, um, they may curl into a small, into a ball protected by its spines or dig into the soil and leaving only their spines exposed, as we yeah. talked about earlier. And they're super independent and solitary. So Yeah, I think you said at one point they only come together to mate and then... They don't hang out together at all. No. If they see another yeah. echidna in their territory, there's, like, no acknowledgement. Like, there's just no, – they just keep doing what they're doing. They're not curious about each other. Yeah, yeah. No. Um, mm. So 
Puggles, baby echidnas, they're left in nursery bub, but nursery burrows. So they only have burrows for nurseries. They don't have them for anything else. So, and they will leave the baby alone for a few days at a time when they first have them. Huh. So they'll go off for a few days and come back and feed them and go off for a few more days. And eventually that goes to a week. And then it can be up to a month that they only go back you know, once a month. So they are not very hands-on parents. <laughs> so when I say they're independent, I mean they're really independent. They're really independent. Yeah, that's kind of, it's like my kind of parenting. <laughs> and so that's also why babies can be kind of vulnerable because mm. they are left alone and There's so no things can go into the, yeah, den and, and kill the babies. And so when mum decides she's going to wean the baby, she gives the baby one last feed and then brings it to the front of the burrow and instead of covering it in like she normally would, she just fucks off never to come back and then the baby has to make its own way out in the world and figure stuff out. So, <laughs> I don't like that part. <laughs> but the, like this this is the thing. Like this is this is their energy. They are yeah, independent and they yeah. they have to figure things out for themselves and just yeah. know things innately and they're old. Like they have that kind of history. Yeah. So then the young, yeah, is required to make it on its own, learn how to forage, where to find shelter, how to avoid predators and establish its own home range. Like that's all up to the baby to figure out or the teen, I guess, at this stage. (laughs) The not (laughs) five-year-old. Not five, yeah. yeah. Um, so, like, it's it's extreme independence in some ways. Mm. And then they lead a solitary life other than to breed. So there's a thing called an echidna train. Have you ever seen these? I think so. So it's where there's one female and then a bunch of males will follow behind yeah. in a line and they'll walk around the landscape and yeah. it looks like a train of echidnas. Yeah. I've never seen it. I've always wanted to see it in real I've life. Seen I've pictures. seen it on videos. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I've, I've yeah. never seen it really, but I Me know either. I've seen pictures. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, and that's it. And of course, when she raises her baby, that's the only time she spends with her yeah. baby. And, yeah, and that's it. Yeah. The rest of it, it's all, it's all done. And it, they're, they're attracted to pheromones and that kind of thing. So, yeah. Um, yeah. So lifestyle, they obviously dig burrows for their nursery, but in the wild they just sleep under logs or in grasses or leaf litter and just camouflage, like they camouflage okay. into the landscape. And they live life in the slow lane. They reprodu- reproduce um, maybe once a year if they want to, might even be every two or three years that they don't okay. reproduce every year. Even though they don't inter- even if they don't interact with the, the young much. Like how long does the mother keep going back? Like do they raise it for six months or? I'd have to find. I'd have to look it up. I can't remember off the top of my head how long that that period is. Um, But they do gain weight really quickly. Like they're one of those animals that, yeah, Yeah. stack on weight. No, it's just because like sexual maturity I think you said was five years. Yeah. So I was wondering Five years, yeah physical maturity like when they're sort of ejected from the burrow like is that equally as long like a longer time considering they're well, pretty small if they probably have the babies in spring and tall paws going to happen in february february somewhere in there would be my guess okay yeah 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 so they don't there's no babies when they're i can't say hibernation when they're tall i want to say pawpaw yeah but it's tall paw. 
Topo. 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 Yeah. Yeah. So it's not a year. No. No. I think it's months. Like it's, I just don't know how many months. Yeah. 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 So they, like, their maturity comes on pretty quickly, but not, they're not, like, physical independence, I suppose, is fairly quick considering. Yeah. Yeah. But, um, yeah, the sexual maturity and I don't know, other kinds of maturity might be longer, mm. but they're independent by then. Yeah. 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 Okay. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Mm. So, yeah. The, so I think poor Hannah had to listen to me have a bit of a rant earlier about, <laughs> <laughs> about like why I think someone who has decided some of the witchcraft magical terms around echidnas being a representation of community is a problem. What? Yeah. So. What? Yeah. Yeah. That's what but you anyway, that's, that's that's one of that's their representations. Yeah. I wonder you thought that yeah. was weird. Yeah, they they were saying that oh, I'll get to it. Um, okay, witchcraft. Sorry. Okay, let's get yeah. on to the witchcraft. Okay. <laughs> I've been going Glossy on for a while. and I are ready. Okay. So, of course, like literature in this case, it's there's not a lot of it. Like in mm. Australia, we haven't talked a lot about. I'm sure there are people who have their own individual ideas that haven't written books. Um, and if you're one of those people, please reach out to me. I want to know. Like, yeah. I know we say this and, and then people don't reach yeah. out to us, but please, like, I actually really want to know. I want to get some kind of thing together on Australian yeah, totally. stuff. That isn't the two sources that I could find. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> I mean, there's probably blogs, but I, I didn't go down that path. I went through printed literature. So this is what they say, and then I will critique it. Go. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so um, there's a, a beautiful oracle deck that I have called – I bought it from Big W of all places – Wild Wisdom Australia. This one. Oh, nice. And it's by Corinne Roberts and Bonnie Hughes. And they, so these are the things that they think. They think that echidnas are able to provide assistance with solving a dilemma um, to help you ground yourself for encouragement and empowerment. And I can see that being the case because yeah. of their independence. Like, yeah. you know, they're not going to be like rallying you, but their yeah, energy yeah. could be used to empower you. Yeah. to get something done yourself. Digging deeper. Yeah. <laughs> That's very literal. Yeah. Got Alexander King. Was that his name? Alexander Scott King. One of those. One of them. <laughs> I've got his I've got his book somewhere. He said rebirth and personal protection. So yeah. Yeah, I wasn't very yeah. inspired by those two either. So I was actually, like, when I was first reading through Roberts and Hughes, I was like, Ugh. and then, like, when I did the research, I was like, oh, actually, I see where you're coming from. I just would have worded it differently. So, yeah. all right. So, okay, Robert and Hughes. So they say, echidnas encourage you to sift over the fine details. So think about, like, rooting around in the stones looking for food. At a stretch. <laughs> Yeah. What areas of your life do you need to pay more attention? Are you being stubborn about something that needs to be looked at things dif- look at things differently? Um, they also say kidneys encourage you to meditate on the area to help you find what's under the surface. The insight that arises will assist you in the future. 
Oh, Echidna is also asking you to be mindful of any negative thought patterns. Um, despite its protective spikes, Echidna is more about empowerment than protection, which I think is actually true. Like it's about independence more than yeah. actually – like they're not defending. Their no. protection there is just a a thing that's there, you yeah. know. Like it's yeah. like the, talking about the territory versus the rain. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. that's exactly it. Yeah. yeah. It's energy teaches you to stay grounded, stand tall, and set your boundaries. Yeah. 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 I, I kind of, yeah. again, it's kind of like the boundaries isn't like a physical boundary or mm. like even a protective boundary. It's kind of like, a well, I have my range. This is what I've been doing for millions of years mm. and it's been working for me like i think that's kind of the boundary um yeah yeah like so far it's kind of like you could interpret those things to be about so many animals and like the echidna has such um quirky qualities and some really striking things about it that i would take those into consideration if i was thinking of my associations because my personal experience is just I've seen a few on the side of the road alive, yeah, um, yeah, a few digging into the side of the road, but yeah. that's about all. But after looking in, like what you've said, and you looking into it, it's like okay, yeah, I could I could see how I'd associate it personally, and those mm-hmm. things are kind of too broad for me. I'd have it more specific. Yeah, and I think this is why we need to have these conversations. Like these are two sources and they're starting from Mm. somewhere, you know, like they've they're like gone, yep, I want to create this Australian deck uh, of wild wisdom or Mm. and in this case, um, in King's case, it's Mm. um, a book and another deck as well. And so it's a a lot of work and maybe the, the depth hasn't been put into it. And also I think that you need to know people who actually physically know and interact and speak with echidnas. Like Riz Miller said some things in her books that I wrote down because I was like, oh, that's definitely one of the things that is one of their magical qualities, you know, like because she lives with them. She, you know, she she's probably an echidna. (laughs) (laughs) She has echidna energy. Okay, so this is King's point of view. Mm-hmm. Um, he says spines means they can't be picked up and moved from their path. Next. They shut themselves off from the world to prevent predatory attack. Uh, I mean, there is the independence thing, but like shutting them off, themselves off totally, like they're very interactive with their environment, but they're just really independent. Yeah, I mean, the, the, the mm. thing is they're independent and if you needed some independence in your life, call on the echidna. Yeah. Um, but also, oh, it may, <laughs> this is what really set me off. Okay. But also sorry. means they're shielded from support and a helping hand. Well, the thing with that is it's it's just not their deal. No. It's, that's not what their energy is about. They're, no. Every animal doesn't have to be about reaching out and asking for help and living in a group that's what humans do and if you're looking for that call on a different animal's energy don't like call on a mob of kangaroos yeah like why would you pick the echidna for that yeah and like like, it's it's a moot point it doesn't matter because you're not calling on them to do this 
idea that the echidna needs human help. Well, we need human help because humans fucked them up. Like, yeah. do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like it doesn't, <laughs> its natural environment, if it was left to its own self, is independence. It doesn't need the other echidnas even. That's the point no. of it. That's how they exactly. live. Even they the have, babies live that way, other than to be fed milk. <laughs> and you, you also pointed out they have a pretty long history. They've been around a long time. They're pretty good working. at this. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's weird. And it is very, like, human-centric. It's like, oh, humans always need to be, like, we're group animals. We're supposed to live in groups. They're not. They're not that's made the for it. the whole point of them. Yeah, yeah. And this ain't no hedgehog's dilemma. They're not no. trying to curl up with another echidna and getting spiked and then they're crying like Shinji does in the Evangelion. Like, <laughs> honestly, yeah. that's how I know about the hedgehog's dilemma. <laughs> I learned it from an anime. I yeah. know it's a psychological thing. Okay, so hang on. I just got to keep getting triggered. <laughs> what if you're on a road and someone... <laughs> I can do it. And someone tries to help you. Obstinate character prevents him from realizing the error of his ways. He's not being obstinate. Like it's just yeah, that all just doesn't work. No. Once you know a little bit about their natural <laughs> habits. They find strength in community and unity. With what? They see ants more than they see each other. I, yeah, maybe that's where they're getting their strength in community and unity is the ant community that they're eating and ingesting and taking into them. How do I get community? I eat it. <laughs> and I wrote, I wrote, uh, I actually wrote it in red, like that's how annoyed I was. <laughs> I was like, call an echidna for solitude and individual strength. That's what they're good at, like not for community yeah. and unity. Uh, open your heart to the needs of those around you and the nurturing they can offer. Stop shutting people out. You need to let your guard down. Relax. Um, your sense of personal protection, development, tolerance, begin to trust. So what he's saying is it's a bad symbol. Which is I completely 1,000% disagree. Okay. The only way I could see that as like fitting is if you're mm. if you're looking at it from a completely this is what humans need. Echidnas mm-hmm. are partially the opposite for these few reasons. So if you get echidna energy, that means you're doing something not right in a human way. Like, yeah. Does, does that make sense? That's the only way that can make sense. Yeah. Instead yeah. of going, oh, like I'm connecting with echidna energy or I feel it strongly or something, something, what are the good, good things about it? Like what are the yeah. strengths? It's just like... Well, it doesn't work in any way with the way humans work, so it must be a bad sign. It feels that's yeah. I yeah. pretty much wrote next to this is that you know what echidnas are about is simple energy. Like what they're doing is something that they've done for so long, and yeah. that and they're successful at it. So Obviously, until now, why why do they need? Why is that like you know? Yeah. I don't know. I, I have the, for me, when I want to call on energy to work with energy or like if I see a symbol or a sign, which is probably yeah. what he's trying to say here. I think so. Is that he's saying, oh, well, if you see an echidna, it means this. And maybe for him it does. Yeah. Um, maybe he has that interpretation, but that just wouldn't work for me. Like that's. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think it, he's coming from it as a, 
symbolically, like you're just sort of seeing it around. Yeah. So because their energy is different to ours, like, well, yeah. or, but because of the way they are, it fits, but only if you're taking it as a, I'm not going to work with this energy. I just mm. see it as a symbol. Whereas not from a point of view as, oh, I want to work with the kidna energy in a positive yeah. way. Yeah. What are the positive associations? Yeah. Independence, I'd say for the courage, um, maybe yeah. single mindedness, you know, they just do yeah. their thing, they keep going. But like sometimes you need that fortitude, determination, that kind of thing. Whereas yeah. his interpretation is, oh, you're seeing it randomly, seemingly, or you've drawn a card from a deck or something. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it could be good or bad. It's probably to a deck. Yeah. What does that mean? Because yeah. it does, it fits, but it's just like, well, just pick out all the bad things, why don't you? <laughs> like it's weird. It's like, oh, I better have a negative animal. Let's make yeah. a kidna. Yeah. Yeah, actually, yeah, yeah. Like it's weird. Yeah, like, I like, yeah, I don't know. Why? But if you're choosing to work with that energy, there's heaps of positive associations. Like there's heaps of things that you could get from it that would help you and nourish you. Mm. Yeah. And I've yeah. never really understood that, like, yeah, okay, bad things happen. So if it's like this, if it's a, if you're making an oracle deck or something, yeah, you might want to have bad cards. Mm. But if you're encouraging people to work with these energies, have positive association. Like why would you? Say, oh, you've seen a kid, you're feeling kidney energy. That's bad. Well, it'd be like saying, oh, you've pulled a praying mantis card. That means you're being over dominating in your relationship and ripping off your man's head. Sure, it's there, but really, yeah. like, is that, is that, the, is that you where you're going to embrace yeah. upon? Like, I don't know. I just felt, anyway, let me keep going. There's more. <laughs> Shunning anything that may divert you from your path is great if you want to live an independent life, but Echidna warns against protecting yourself to the point that your heart becomes impenetrable to change. If too independent society may shun you, including your own family, being rigid in life will make you unapproachable, ungrateful, aggressive, and lack in humility. If you need to do family work, I wouldn't call upon Echidnas. Okay. First thing that he said that made sense. Oh, the family thing? Yeah, like that was me. A different animal. <laughs> oh, that was you. Okay, that was course. me. Sorry, that was me, not him. Yeah, yeah. Now this is what Riz Miller says. She says they're an icon. They're recognised for plodding onwards, an ancient survivor representing the spirit of Australia. Yeah, tick. I mean, yeah, that's exactly what they are. That's their energy. What happens when you keep moving forward at a slow and steady space? What does it mean when you can continue with the strength that you have in you? You're a survivor. You live through so many iterations of this world and you keep going. You can survive in any habitat, even the most traumatic of bushfires. You can still keep going. Keep moving forward. And Ms. Miller says this represents the spirit of Australia and I think that's true. Another scientist thought that they were a master of their niche. Um, so it could be that, 
you found yourself, it could be that you found yourself a niche to be in and you're doing well in it. Maybe other people don't understand what you're doing or why you're doing it. But if it's working for you, keep going. And then I just read about the seasonal observations, you know, maybe, you know, reflect on this energy when they're starting to wake up. Kidneys can dig down and really hold on, not allowing themselves to be displaced easily. Um, sometimes this is the kind of self-care we need. Some call it stubborn, but if you're doing it for, but are you doing it for a reason or are you just mm-hmm. being stubborn? You know, embrace your echidna and get yourself out of the mess because they're really hard to keep contained, like they can escape. No fences too high, no rock too heavy to be overturned. Take your beak and push that shit up. (laughs) And they're also hard love. So sometimes you need the echidna to give you the hard trees. You will be nurtured and grown with echidna energy, but when it's time, it'll take When it's time, it will take you to the edge of the abyss and leave you to find your own path. It's time to embrace your own individualism and to try and make it in the world. You have the tools. It doesn't mean you'll be perfect, but you can make it work. And then the other thing I did was just a really quick meditation. Well, not quick. I did a meditation. And I and I asked for um, some like what the echidna had to tell me. I interact with those in my community when I need, breeding and a child, but I am able to survive on my own. I have the skills. I have been this living this way for thousands of years. I know how to do the heavy lifting. I know the skills to survive. Yeah. So, yeah, that's the echidna. Even just listening to what you've, you've talked about with the echidna, it, like I haven't had as many personal interactions with echidnas in general, but mm-hmm. I like that idea of doing the research and going, well, this makes sense to me with how they act in the wild kind of thing. Like even if I haven't seen them or interacted with them as much, it's good to hear from someone who has. Mm. But also just looking at their, like the interesting things that they do, mm-hmm. their one whole thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, like all kinds of interesting like scientific facts that, you know, this is what echidnas do. This is how they act. This is some of their physiology. And then making your own associations. Because mm. I've always wanted to find, you know, you said you only found a few resources on Australia, like on the echidna. Like, mm. so I've always, like, that's always been my thing. I want someone to tell me what the proper association is. No, you don't need to. You no. just have to go out and have some interactions or talk to someone who has and yeah. then look up some, you know, almost ba- not quite basic facts but look into its physiology and it's the boring science stuff in inverted quotes and you'll find some interesting things and I'm sure you'll, you know, find some associations that work for you. So I suppose from now on echidna for me is lessons on doing your own research. Yeah. Oh, I like that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's what Echidna has taught me through yeah. this session. <laughs> yeah. 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 I'm sorry I got so like, eh, but it just, it really bothered me. I was like, have you spent any time with Echidnas? Like, yeah. Yeah. And the answer is I don't think so. How can something that's called a puggle have all of those negative connotations? <laughs> yes. <laughs> and I mean. God. And. They're not negative, like they're not negative to the echidna. So, so why would you see an echidna and then think that that's a negative association for yourself? Yeah, you know, for me, this is my start of my echidna journey. Like, I haven't, 
I've done a meditation. I've obviously hung out with them a little bit. Yeah. So, mm. yeah, if people do really do have, if they've worked with the Kitna energy and they want to yeah. write in, or if you do like do a meditation after this and call on the Echidna energy and get some messages and you're willing to share them, I would really love yeah. to hear them. Like I, I kind of want to look at everything. Like I have a very strong opinion because I am like I have a zoology degree. Like I have a very yeah. strong opinion about the way animals are and, yeah. and not putting human emotions onto them and, and that kind of thing. So I think yeah. that's really important. You can't be blinded by your own, you know, how you see things. Yeah. But, again, if you're going into it from a what do I need point of view and you're getting something a bit negative, I mean, it can still be really good, like it can still have something really great for you, but you're probably not going to work with that energy. Let's no. something else. But that energy yeah. is still telling you to do that, which can be good for you. Yeah. But, yeah, don't just bash your head against the echidna brick wall and keep getting negative stuff back. That Do something so else. Yeah. 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 Get Pick a different energy to work with, I think. Yeah. For sure. Mm. <laughs> All right. Mm. Well, <laughs> I just saw a long-nosed echidna in water. They can swim. Um, I will. I I think we need to sign off because I'm really concerned about time. Yes. Quickly, you can find us on social media. Um, we're on Instagram at witchy.bites. We're on Facebook at Witchy Bites Podcast. Uh, you can email us, witchy.bites at outlook.com. Postal address. Yeah, PO Box 96. Hobart, 7000. Yeah, we'll catch you at the next one. Bye. Bye, everyone. Thanks for listening.